Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. <laughs> I am JP Mosier. <laughs> and we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, fantastic. I was driving here this morning. I drove past Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And you know, Chuck E. Cheese is now doing um, carry out take out pizza why the heck would you want their over i'm sorry i love chuck e cheese and that just got me going right but But who wants to order their overpriced bad pizza to go and i'm not going to knock on you chuck e cheese but you're not showbiz pizza no and for those of y'all that don't know me and rob grew up with showbiz pizza which is the predecessor to chuck e cheese in the animatronic oh man um they had the rock of fire oh uh, the rock of fire explosion let me talk about the greatest band ever i want to do a little quick meet the band section <laughs> on the rock of fire explosion yes, play the yes. jingle here we go this has nothing to do with the topic kind of but here we go roll it let's all meet the band all right so we're going to quickly meet the band of the rock of fire explosion oh, I'm so excited. okay on bass and vocals we got billy bob on vocals we've got looney bird who lived oh, yeah. in an oil drum would come out read the fan mail it's okay yeah so we got looney bird on drums duke larue bringing it <laughs> on home um the front man I realized later he is actually a parody of Ray Charles. I don't the know. The gorilla. The gorilla fats Geronimo. That seems offensive. That, that's not inoffensive, like, but no, like that's how they parody him after. That, I'm just saying. Like, oh man. Okay. Yeah. I you know it. what I'm saying? Oh, man, you got a guy been... who's well. You you got a guy who's a, basically a parody of Fats Domino and Ray Charles, and he's a gorilla at uh, a keyboard. Oh man. Yikes. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, cool. That's who they they patterned him after. Who the, the creators? Yeah, said. Okay, I didn't realize sure. that's how it was. That makes moment. sense. On guitar, Beach Bear. Uh, yes. The guitar player bringing it on home. And on vocals, Mitzi, the mouse Mitzi. cheerleader. Yes. So there you go. We just met the band of the Rock of Fire oh, Explosion. Man. The same guy that put together the Rock of Fire Explosion was the same guy that created Whack-A-Mole. No kidding. Same guy. Yeah. His name's Aaron, I think Fletcher, if wow. I'm not mistaken. So there you go. That's wild. And apparently there's these, you can still, there's one museum in Florida, in Orlando, where you can still go see the animatronics of what is left of the Rock of Fire explosion. There's a really cool documentary on there. Yes. Have you seen, have you oh, watched man, the Rock of Fire no, explosion documentary? No, I'm wait. I want to see it. Oh, I know I need to, to watch it. It's so. so good. They talk about, there are people who have bought up these things and they program them to play. You can program them to sing along with anything. Yeah. So they just play like awesome cool music and yeah. have the rock of fire explosion program to be playing it you know what i mean it's dope dude you well, gotta watch it's such a cool documentary well speaking of playing cool music man do we have a song for you today oh, boy. oh we've got a doozy P- uh, piano driven greatness yes oh, absolutely so. you know what i fats think- geronimo would kill it fats- on here <laughs> <laughs> i i'm gonna go ahead and call this song I, I hope this isn't offensive to our special guest today i'm gonna go ahead and call this song walking in memphis for the 2000s okay you feel me yeah, on that I- like you, you got it. Okay, so this is, I'm so exciting. This is a song that everybody on earth loves. Uh, and we're talking about Five for Fighting's classic, classic hit, Superman, parentheses, It's Not Easy. You know I love <laughs> me some parentheses. So let's play a little bit, then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to talk to John Andrasik, oh, who my is goodness, yes. Five for Fighting, the embodiment of Five for Fighting. So One of our favorite interviews, super cool guy, yeah. a lot of fun, guys. You're yeah. going to enjoy this one. So here it is. Let's take a listen to Superman, parentheses, It's Not Easy by Five for Fighting.
fly I'm not that naive I'm just out to find The better part of me I'm more than a bird I'm more than a plane I'm more than some pretty face Beside a train And it's not easy To be me I wish that I could cry Fall upon my knees Find a way to lie About a home I'll never see It may sound absurd incredible i was just thinking while we were listening it is incredible how one song can affect you so much in one minute you know what i mean like through that first half chorus it was like 58 seconds and it's so it just it sinks you into a place so quickly yeah it's good you know what i'm saying oh it's amazing my gosh that is superman parentheses it's not easy by five for fighting from the 2001 album america town Written by John Andrasik, who we'll talk to in just a few minutes. Um, it went to number one on the Billboard U.S. Adult Top 40. Number two in the Adult Contemporary Chart. Number seven, Adult Alternative Songs. Number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100. Number 15, the U.S. Mainstream Top 40 Chart. It went number five, uh, top five in Ireland, Belgium, Australia, New Zealand. Weirdly, I thought it peaked at number 48 in the U.K. and didn't chart in a, in a, any uh, like um, significant way okay. in Canada at all. Really? Like, at least in the top 50, I know it didn't get in Canada, which I found unusual for a song to be that huge here and not... Brian Adams is like, no, you're yeah. not coming on my turf. <laughs> it's like, back off, dude. I'm going to fight for fighting. Um, it uh, was nominated for a 2002 Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a duo or group with oh, vocals. Man. We're going to talk to John about, about that. that. Uh, and it lost to Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of by U2, which is maybe the worst grammar for a Grammy winner <laughs> that I've ever heard. That's funny. You can't end a sentence with a preposition. So, That's hilarious. And I, I guess you also shouldn't end a song title with a preposition. But, uh, yeah, Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of. I guess it's easier to say than Stuck in a Moment From Which You Cannot Escape. Or, you know what I mean? Stuck in a moment you from from which you cannot get out, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. They should have just called it Stuck. Stuck. Yeah. Stuck in a moment. That's yeah, it. Because yeah. it doesn't say in the actual song, it uh, doesn't it say. You can't get out of it. That's right. It you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. They should have just called it Stuck in a moment. Why didn't they do that? Come on, Bono. Stupid. They went out of their way <laughs> to promulgate bad grammar. You think they're like, hey, we can call this song whatever we want and punctual, like we can grammarize it any way we want <laughs> yeah. and we'll still be huge because we're yeah, YouTube. Because we're YouTube. We just do whatever we want. Win a Grammy. No big deal. Right? Well, I got something to say about it. <laughs> and I just did. So there we go. It's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy, man. Um, yeah. So we, we're going to save a lot of our conversation for, I mean, a lot of uh, our, our, our thoughts notes for, are, yeah, yeah, for stuff for, uh, with John. So, I, but I just have a few thoughts I want to share about this song. Roll it. Uh, first of all, this is a recent thought. I may walk this back later, uh, but, but that this is the two thousands walking in Memphis. It's got that same sort of, 
Um, piano hope, hook? Is yeah, that what you're p- piano hook, The just the feel of it that it's like thoughtful and introspective and also hopeful, sort of, mm-hmm. even though it's a little down. Um, you know what I mean? Which is the highest of all compliments to the song because we started our podcast yeah. on Walking in Memphis. For those of y'all that haven't listened back to our back catalog, the first song that we did, the premise for putting this podcast together was based around that song. Yeah, so. and so what I, what I mean, I guess, is, so I can be clear, is that this song does to me the same thing that Walking in Memphis does to me, mm-hmm. is that, if, if that makes sense. Um, I want to, I stopped it right before we hit the bridge and I want it, this bridge is so bad, like in, in a great way, like, uh, so bad to the bone. Um, so I, I want to say that the drums, we're going to, I may play the bridge twice, uh, cause the drums in the bridge are what is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite drum segments in pop music history. Uh, so genius. Maybe we can meet the band and you can tell me who played this. Sure. Um, but, uh. I want you to hear, first of all, the fill coming into the bridge and then the fills coming out of the bridge, okay? Not to mention the groove on the bridge is just so good and perfect, right? And the, it sounds amazing drum-wise and you know all of it, but particularly the fills coming in and out of the bridge, I want to just call note to and, and tell this drummer that I love it so much. Check it. That's dirty. I can't tell you how many times I've copied that film. Now check it when we come back down. How tasty this is. I'm not crazy. Or anything. I'm telling you what, those little, the little, uh, the little drag on the snare that does it for me every single time. One more time. Dude, that's it. Come on. (laughs) That is so dope. I love it absolutely so much. The other thing I want to play uh, back and listen to on the bridge is that how well the melody matches the uh, arching theme of the song and the lyrics. So the, the first part of the lyric for the bridge is up, up, and away, right? Which is a classic Superman phraseology, up, up, and away when he goes flying. And the melody just climbs up into the freaking atmosphere as he sings, up, up, and away, away from me, well, it's all right. Like, it doesn't stop, you know what I'm saying? It just climbs and climbs and climbs up through the sky, past the first layer of clouds, uh, freaking, um, uh, what do you call it, when you when you go to, like, uh, supersonic, you know, you get the sonic boom, like, that's what the melody <laughs> the does The guile there. sonic boom yeah, from Street Fighter. Exactly, you get that little, sonic the little, boom. The pop uh-huh. of a sonic boom, that's you know? It. That's uh, that's what happens to this melody in the bridge. Let's play that one more time. Check it. To the sky. Up, up, away, away from me. Well, it's all right. Come on, John. There we go. Come on, John. Great job, John. That is so dope. Great job, John. Listen, there's so much about this song when you, like, if, if Superman, the character, had never existed... This would still be a great song. Do you know okay, what I'm saying? But but the but the the angles and ways in which the lyric plays into and and pulls from Superman mythology and makes it tug on your heartstrings is just next level, right? And for those of y'all that don't know, Rob is a a Superman guy. Bro. He's a he's a he's a comic guy. So you're speaking his his language when you talk anything Superman related. Even though he doesn't agree that Superman 3 is good. Uh, yeah. No, listen, listen, listen. We, listen, we listen. debate on this. Listen. All all superhero movies are graded on a sliding scale. First of all, okay? <laughs> superhero movies are not worse than a C 
Okay. okay you're automatically a C. For yeah, being you're guaranteed a, okay. a C, uh, <laughs> except for Catwoman, uh, which is an With the F Halle Berry minus. One? Yeah. Okay. F minus um, <laughs> and Electra uh, F minus. I think that's about it. Uh-huh. Those are the worst pieces of garbage I've ever seen. Superman three but is your least favorite. though? Superman three is my least favorite Superman movie. Um, I Superman four is still comfort food for me. I okay. still love it. It's like warm mashed potatoes. Um, Superman three has my second favorite Superman quote. So it, which is what I'll tell you. So number one is obviously Neil before Zod. Like that's okay. my, that's my okay. number one Superman quote. Okay. That's it. Neil before Zod. Number two is. I asked you to kill Superman, and you couldn't even do that one simple thing. <laughs> I love that. That's, like, oh, that's, that's really good. I, I do that's like that. That's my second favorite Superman Oh, man. Quote. I don't know what my favorite Superman quote is. We can think on uh, it. Maybe. Yeah. You can book oh, it at the end. Wow. I, yeah. I'm going to have to think on that Post for a minute. interview. Uh, I do have, while we're talking about Superman, I do have some just Superman stuff that we should talk about. Um, he was created in uh, 1938. Uh, I'm sorry, he appeared first in 1938 uh, in Action Comics number one. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Um, they had worked on him for years previously to the point where they'd worked on him so much that they had actually sort of broken off their relationship and then got back together to, to you know, whatever. But they had pitched it before and it just hadn't fully come together yet uh, until Action Comics number one, uh, the most sought after comic book of all time, April 1938. Is it really? Yeah, absolutely. What is it? Action uh, Comics Action number Action Comics number one. Yeah. It has sold is it? uh it has sold more than once for over a million dollars. Holy cow. What's the premise behind it? Is it it is the it's the origin story of Superman. So okay. it's the first Superman story. And I know you've you've seen it in, in pop culture, uh often comic books and even movies. Uh, will uh, mimic the scene. It's Superman, like holding holding up a car at an angle on the front. And oh yeah, yeah, I know the picture. Away. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's Action Comics number one, um, and uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I think at one point Nicolas Cage owned a copy of it. Uh, of, of a course real copy, he did. Of course he's, he did. He's a big Superman mark. Um, but anyway, Superman uh, defined the superhero genre, right? Like he wasn't the first necessarily superhero, but he became the he standard it, by right? which all others mm-hmm. are measured. That's you know good. what I mean? He, he, he was, when you think superhero, it's Superman. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Even as super in his name. Yeah, exactly. Um, and originally, actually he was a villain. This was in the oh, original wow. conception of what was called the reign of the Superman. It was more of a sci-fi story and he had sort of like psychic powers and he used them for evil. I don't know. Um, but he became, you know, and he was even a little rougher in the original incarnations of Superman in which, by the way, he couldn't fly. Um, he could, like the radio show said, leap tall buildings in a single bound. He could do that sort of Hulk jump, big jump, but he couldn't fly. Um, kryptonite wasn't a thing yet. That was, that came from the radio show. Um, and uh, and he had some other stuff like his heat vision didn't have that. It was more like he was just a beefed up dude who was had you know uh, invulnerable to bullets and stuff like that. Well, the greatest thing but, about the early Supermans is that you know he they shoot him and the bullets bounce off him and they throw the gun and he ducks. Yeah, because you can't fake a gun to the face if you're a real human in the in the early incarnations of this. So. That's great. Uh, I consider Superman the greatest superhero. Period. Okay. Do you? Or, I, I mean, we could debate. A, a lot of people have you know opinions. People will put Batman up there, and yeah. I love Batman as much as the next guy. Mm-hmm. But I think superhero is. I mean, Superman is is it. Okay. You know what I mean when you're he the it starts and stops with Superman as the greatest superhero of all time. Um, greatest superhero movie is for me. It's 1978's Superman. 
The okay. first, the the first, first Superman. I'm, I'm okay with that. I have no problem with that. I, I, and I love, you know, everything. Uh, give me give me all the Avengers. Give me all the X-Men. Give me all the Batman movies. All of it. I'll take it all and love it. But something special about that 1978. I, I'm okay Superman. with that. I'm okay with that. Love it. I, it's good. Uh, this is interesting. Superman will be the first major comic book figure to become part of the public domain uh, in 2033. Okay, so it'll be around in, in 13 years after yeah. we uh, uh, after we record this, he will become part of the public domain, which means he will join characters like Sherlock Holmes, uh, meaning that you can write a Superman, you can publish a Superman story without copyright. And That's things. and so you can do it without without penalty and without having to pay royalties. Uh, it's a little unsure if it will only include his like original incarnation as seen in action comics number one or if you'd be able to use later things like kryptonite and heat vision you know that kind of thing or if it would just be more limited to that thing that's kind of uncharted territory for comic books you know so um but that's you know public domain is cool it's uh there are are pictures that you can use that are you know you can use them royalty free they're in the public domain there are songs that you can record and adapt and all those things they're in the public domain it's after a certain amount of time the copyright it's in other words, the legally you they say the character just belongs to the world now. It doesn't belong to a person. It belongs to everybody. So, um, so Superman will be the first major comic book figure to become part of the public domain. Um, other songs about Superman. You want to rapid fire a couple? Oh, I wrote some you down. Did. But I did. Okay, uh, Jimmy Olsen's Blues. Absolutely, right? Spin, Spin Doctors. Doctors. That's one of our favorites. Love it. Uh, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. You can keep it. Uh, Superman song by Crash Test Dummies. Wish I Could Fly Like Superman by The Kinks. Superman by Eminem. Superman Inside by Eric Clapton. Uh, how about I'm No Superman by Laszlo Bain, the theme song to the TV show Scrubs. Okay. I'm No Superman. Yeah. Love that one. Um, and, of course, everyone's favorite, Crank That, Soldier Boy by Soldier Boy. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, who's your favorite Superman actor? Chris Free. Chris Free. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. That's, like, not even. Sure. Uh, yeah. That took me one Definitely. second. <laughs> You want to meet the band and then talk to John a little bit and then touch on yeah, some things at let's the do end? It. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, and you know what? This will be the only time we've got to play the Meet the Band jingle twice in the same yeah. episode. Wow. So let's do it. Hey let's now. take it up an opportunity. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, so I'll go quick on the band so we can meet John and then you can. Tied up with things at the end. Sound like a plan? Great. Okay, perfect. On guitar, Greg Wattenberg wrote Hey Soul Sister for Train. Okay. Also wrote Gone, 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 Philip, Philip song. Um, monster. Cool. On drums, the guy you mentioned that you like so much, Dorian <laughs> Crozier, nicknamed The Wook. Okay. I don't know why, but neat. The Wook, like a Wookiee? Maybe. It's W-O-O-K. Okay. Maybe. Uh, Dorian Crozier. Man, hey. Bring it. Let's pause here. Let's pause Applause and clap. for Dorian right. Crozier. He uh, got his another big pop of drumminess with Mandy Moore. He was Mandy Moore's okay. drummer before she's known on the TV show now, doing okay. her TV thing. She was yeah. a musician at one Right. Time. There are people that literally don't know that Mandy Moore Mandy was Moore like a had a music career. Teen, yeah, yeah, music so career. She, she was, was opposite Britney Spears and Christina say, Aguilera that yeah. era. Mandy Moore was number three, yeah. I guess, probably in that uh, that and a walk to remember. Um, on bass, there's two bass players that are attributed. I probably we probably should have asked John which one actually played on here and did which parts. But two bass players, Sheldon Gomberg and Mark Montague, uh, and then John, who we get to spend some time with. So yeah, uh, why don't we do that now? Let's you pass just it to him. Let's hop onto that interview, ladies and gentlemen. This is John Andrasik, aka Five for Fighting himself. Let's do it. This is a great song, Pod Ab.
Guys, we want to tell you about a new album that's out. You're going to want to check it out. It's Sam and Becca Mizell. That's M-I-Z-E-L-L. When it all comes down, it's got to have love in it. Got to have truth in it. If it's ever going to stand the storm, when it all comes down. A second verse. The album is called Getaway Car, and it's out everywhere September 4th. Damon Wayans birthday. Whoa well now. There we go, national holiday. Go check out Getaway Car by Sam and Becca Mizell. Some just want a rebel that breaks all the rules. Some just want the grace without hearing the truth. Some just want somebody to help them get through. Nobody. You may not know Sam and Becca Mizell yet, but you know their work. They've written seven, count them, seven number one hits. Kablam! Kablam! They've had 24 top 10 radio singles, Kapowie. two Grammy nominations, Ayo. awards, 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 ASCAP Songs of the Year, BMI Songs of the Year, yada, yada, yada. And let me tell you, we don't just, we're not just advertising them because they asked us to, but we're advertising them because we know them, we love them, they're a friend of the show, a friend of humanity, friend of pets and creatures of all kinds, the Woodland Friends. <laughs> Go check out the new record by Sam and Becca Mizell. It's called Getaway Car, available everywhere September 4th. Mark Ronson's birthday. Oh, oh wow. You're... Elmer Fudd's birthday. <laughs> not really Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Mark, Mark Ronson, yes. David Wayans, yes. Mizell, yes. That's Sam and Becca Mizell. That's M-I-Z-E-L-L. The record is Getaway Car, available everywhere September 4th. Cause everything that's good is you. I know it's the truth Cause I can't find it in Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with John Androsic, lead singer, lead everything of Five for Fighting. He is the voice. He is the entirety, the the embodiment of Five for Fighting. And he's joining us here today on the Great Song Podcast. John, thank you so much for being with us, man. Hey, Rob JP, what's up? Hey, man, it's great to have you. Rob kind of hinted at it, but our first question is, so how many people out of 10 do you think know that Five for Fighting is just you? Like, if you were going to poll 10 people, how many do you think do you hear out there like, oh, my goodness, it's just you? I've actually done that poll, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, I, 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 I do these uh, little keynotes, and part of my talk is to kind of ask the audience and say, you know, how many people have heard a couple of these songs? And, and you know, a lot of people raise their hands. And how many people know 100 Years in Superman were by this band, Fight for Fighting? And much fewer raise their hand. And then I say, well, how many of you know that there's no band five for fighting? It's this guy, John. And usually it's what, it, usually it's whatever family members in the audience. Right. <laughs> so so awesome. it's, it's less than 10% for sure. That's yeah. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. So what, uh, what made you go with, I, I understand that, uh, that your last name, maybe the record label originally thought maybe people wouldn't grab onto it. And so they, they, is it right that they asked you to come up with something else? Well, it really comes down to, it was the late 90s, and uh, it was kind of the age of Lilith Fair, boy bands, grunge, and the male singer-songwriter, at least in the minds of the record company, was dead. Uh, okay. There was no kind of male songwriters on the radio, and 
So uh, I just made my first record, and uh, you know, after you know, 15 years of struggling and on EMI Records, and I was so excited. And uh, and the the president of the label came to me and said, you know, John, uh, as I said, it's the male singer songwriter said, you're correct. Nobody can pronounce Andrasik. You guys did. You're the first. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we we would like you to come up with a band name. And I was I was a bit taken aback, and and. and uh, that day, I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, go Preds! Uh, I'm a big hockey oh, yeah. fan, hey, yeah. and 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 uh, I just come from a hockey game, and certainly back in the '90s, there was a, a lot of brawlers, and a, uh, my favorite one was a guy named Marty McSorley, who was Wayne oh, Gretzky's yeah. bodyguard, and he'd gotten in a couple brawls that day. So when they when they kind of said we need a band name, I, I sarcastically just spit out, you know, how about Five for Fighting? Because I just come from the you know L.A. Kings game, expecting them to hate it. And they're like, we, we love it. And I'm like, I, I was kind of in shock. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it sounds like, you know, we should be opening for Metallica. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no five guys. And it caused a lot of, as you said, uh, there's a big disconnect. And I, I think as a marketing ploy, you know, it was a, a huge failure because, <laughs> because of, of the disconnect between the guy. And it's probably cost the label a million records. But, you know, for me, it's been actually kind of fun, you know, because it's really been about the music and the Five for Fighting brand has allowed me to actually play some huge sporting events, you know, uh, Daytona 500, Monday Night Football, you know, sitting at Dodger Stadium for the King Stucks outdoor game. Like some of the highlights of my career have, have been these big uh, kind of music events. And frankly, John Andrasik probably doesn't play those, but Five for Fighting does. And and so it's it's had some silver linings and it's a funny story and but once, uh, once you know, we had some success, we were, for better or worse, we were, were stuck with Five for Fighting, and, and to this day, it's it still asks people ask the question, but I, I still get a free hockey ticket to any NHL game <laughs> That's awesome. that I want to go to. <laughs> That's cool. I'm so glad you it's mentioned amazing. who your favorite King was, because I knew you were a Kings fan, but I didn't know if you are a Gretzky guy. I, I'm a Luke Robitaille guy, if you're going to make me pick a King, just because you know, he's the uh, leading scorer as a left winger when he retired. So give me, give me number 20 every day. Um, but I do have a couple sports-related questions since we touched on that track uh, there's a track on American Town called on American Town called Michael Jordan did you really yeah. want to be like Mike or uh, <laughs> did or was that just simply for song because you're a Laker guy right it's yeah it's funny you, you mentioned that obviously with the last dance and all the that's kind of yeah hype I was gonna say if you watched it it's so good yeah yeah it was exciting and and uh, just to, to touch on your Luke Robitaille thing uh, not to not drop names, but uh, I, I love dropping names. Luke is a very good friend of mine. And oh, I will let him what know. in the world? That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll let, I'll, I'll let him know that. Uh, he's, he's, he's the greatest guy, the most humble guy, you know, as you said, Hall of Famer, one yeah. of the greatest ever, and just a wonderful guy. Well, tell him he's got and, a fan but, in Predstown out here. I'm a Nashvilleian, but I, I always grew up a big Luke Robitaille fan. So that's, that's cool. amazing. Yeah, so the Jordan thing, sure, you know, I, I, I kind of grew up as a huge Laker fan. But uh, as a huge basketball fan, you couldn't help but just admire Michael Jordan. And yeah. so I was certainly a fan. That that song really is more about kind of the celebrity worship culture. And uh, it was kind of a commentary on, you know, how we're so obsessed with celebrity and especially sports celebrity. And, you know, kind of similar to Superman, you know, as a songwriter, you kind of pick out these foils and, you know, these iconic images to, to make your point. And certainly Jordan back in the day was the world's biggest icon and I could argue he's still the world's biggest icon and so it was really about I don't know how much would you give to you know to to kind of have this 
celebrity warship. And, and so it really had this undertone, but most people like it just because I dribble a basketball in the song. Okay. So, you know, when you get to, <laughs> yeah. it, it, at the end of the day, people just think it's weird. It was my, you know, kind of grungy rock side of Five for Fighting, and uh, it's, it's kind of made a, an appearance in the, this year because of The Last Dance. That, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, I, my favorite team ever is the 87 Lakers. I've mentioned it before. Oh. So if you could have a free throw contest with any Laker, <laughs> your Laker guy, living your day, who do you pick? You pick Magic, Kareem, Kobe. Who's your, who's your free throw shootout with? Oh, that's easy. It's Shaq. Shaq! <laughs> yes! Because <laughs> oh, you know you'll win. You're in it to win. That's great. Exactly. In it to win it. I love it. That's yeah. so good. Uh, I do have one more follow-up track question since we talked about uh, Michael Jordan from, from American Town. Uh, you have a hidden track. Do you mind? Um, yeah. At the, at the end of All Right on American Town. Do you remember the first project that you heard a hidden track on where you were like, oh, that's cool? Or do you know? Or does, did you just always say, hey, I'm going to put a hidden track on this project? You know, when you make your first record, you want to try to do everything you've heard anybody do because it may you may never get another one. And and uh, I think the the thing I re- remember most I, on Purple Rain, I think at the very end there was like a backwards track. It was kind of uh, you know this this backwards track, and it was I don't know if it was hidden, but it sw- certainly wasn't listed on the credits. But I remember putting it on my reel to reel tape recorder and then flipping the whole thing around to try to hear what Prince was saying and what it was. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was. Yeah, that song was kind of uh, an exercise in, in trying to write a song with the exact same progression that never changed. Mm, okay. So a lot of, you know, as, as songwriters, you kind of try to force yourself into uncomfortable boxes and and uh, do all different permutations of craft. So that one was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to have the same progression, and I'm just going to try to write a song that kind of works through that. And it's kind of a dark, twisted song, and like a lot of people that kind of just know the hits, they, they don't kind of know about those kind of weird songs that I was writing in my 20s and uh but uh but yeah it it was hidden it was cool it was something as I said that <laughs> you, ne- you never know if you're gonna get another record so if this is my only one I'm having a hidden track on it right <laughs> exactly I was gonna ask do you miss hidden tracks like it's you know with everything streaming right now and even what you know once iTunes began it was kind of impossible to do in the yeah. you know in the same way do you do you miss that you think it'll ever find a way to come back I just miss records, you know, you know, I, I mean, hidden tracks, whatever. I, I just miss records. And, and I think, you know, when, uh, when Superman first came out, it was kind of right in when, when people were debating, well, do we put our whole record on, you know, iTunes or do we put, you know, singles or can you buy the whole record? So that whole dynamic was happening. And then obviously very quickly, it just went to a singles world. And, and I think, uh, you know, the records I love, uh, it's an experience. You know, I'm sure you've had this conversation with many people, and some of my favorite songs with my favorite artists were not hits. And yeah. If, oh, yeah. if, every art, you know, if every artist is driven, you know, my goal with every record was to have one or two songs that allowed me to make another one. Right. And, you know, and then the rest of the record was really where my art was and where I tried to either say things or take chances or take risks or, or do something that's, you know, that's fulfilling for me and try to grow as an artist. And when everything is just single driven, then it's just a commercial exercise. Now, certainly it's very hard to write songs to stand the test of time. And, you know, my favorite artists have hit songs and Elton and Billy and the Beatles and Joni Mitchell go down the list. But, you know, New York state of mind was an album track. Yeah. And if it's all single driven, 
we're not going to, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody was, you know, it was an eight minute, you know, freak show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, so I think I, I miss the album because it really doesn't allow, you know, the, the artist to express themselves fully and it becomes more of a commercial exercise. So hidden tracks, you know, I could live or live without them, but, but that album thing, you know, I, I think we've lost a little bit. I, uh, it's funny that you mentioned, like, some of my favorite stuff by you wasn't the lead single off of your projects. My, my favorite album of yours is The Battle for Everything. That's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, 100 Years is the big one that everybody knows off that. But some of my favorites are I love Disneyland and I love If God Made You. Um, and so that's funny that you tie that in. And you worked with Bill Bottrell on that, right? He was the guy that helped you yeah. with some of that. How was it working with him? That guy's a legend. He's done everything with Michael Jackson, Madonna. How was it working with Bill? On that project, it was it was great. You know, he's an eclectic guy. It was kind of the dream. You know, you you, you make, you know, the first record, America Town, we made on a shoestring budget. Uh, we would have to go in the studio at midnight because we couldn't afford the day rate. You know, it took us, you know, a year to do it, and all of a sudden you're having a success. And you're like, wow, I can go, you know, to uh, Northern California on the coast in this crazy cool studio with Bill Bottrell, who's made some of the greatest records of, of all time. And, you know, his, you know, he was really an engineer and his secret was, you know, many records, you know, you kind of cut the drums, you cut the bass, you cut the, the vocal and, you know, you kind of do it all piecemeal. His thing was everybody's in the same room and he would get your headphones mixed to a point where you literally feel like you're listening to the record. And, you know, this is a little probably in the weeds, but, you know, when, when you cut that way, a lot of the musicians like, well, you know, if I'm playing bass, crank my bass. Right. If I'm playing yes. piano, crank my piano. Nobody was allowed to do that. Everybody was listening to the same mix and it was inspiring. Oh. And, and he was such a great engineer that you just literally were inspired to play. And that was the only time I ever made a record that way. And it was probably the, the greatest, most inspiring, you know, three or four months of my career as a record maker. Um, of course, after we made the record, the record company came in and blew the whole thing up because <laughs> hundred years hadn't been written, and they thought everything was terrible. You know, they, they you mentioned God made you in Disneyland, and they were horrified. And to this day, <laughs> oh, I, dude, I those are God, so good. Yeah, yeah. I think God made you is probably the best sounding record I've ever made, and and that's really Bill. But it was it was wonderful, and uh, and uh, it was a pleasure to work with him, and I learned a lot from him. And uh, yeah, you're right, he. He's old school. He's one of the masters. You know, he did the Cheryl Crow record that broke her. And uh, we had a lot of, you know, there were some fireworks. <laughs> there was some drama. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I'm like, aren't, aren't, aren't I the artist who's supposed to throw, throw tantrums and be managed? But, uh, you know, but, but you got to do what you got to do. And, and I, I really enjoyed that record. And, and, you know, for me, if I had to pick a record, it's hard to, like, judge yourself. It sounds kind of narcissistic. But I think the battle for everything is is to me, uh, the best record that I've made. Well, there you go. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's get into the song uh, Superman, parentheses, yeah. It's Not Easy. I'm a big fan. I've made it known on the podcast of parentheses and song titles, so that <laughs> automatically is a thing that I enjoy. Um, but, um, so uh, first I want to ask, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you got nominated for a Grammy for this song. Uh, what's that phone call like, finding out, hey, you're nominated for a Grammy? Just surreal. I mean, the whole six months, you know, was was crazy. I mean, you know, Superman was a fluke. Uh, it, it, 
we, Come on we, now, we don't had, be modest. Well, it was a, the success of Superman was a fluke. Writing it was a fluke too, because it came very fast. We can talk about that later. But uh, you know, I I it wasn't the first single off America Town. It was a song called Easy Tonight, and Easy Tonight. It was a number one AAA song, but it didn't sell very many records. So it was just successful enough for us to get to another song. And it was kind of like, all right, you got one more, and this is it. And if mm. it's not a hit, then it's over. And so I picked Superman, and I'm like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down in flames. And the label was kind of nervous. They're like, you know, as I said, this was, you know, this was 2000, um, and the, the piano was not on the radio. Uh, right. Singer-songwriters were not on the radio. And radio initially was very reluctant to play it. And it, it, we even you know, got to a point where there were kind of no ads and people told me the song was over. And for whatever reason, it kind of kicked in and, and then was becoming kind of this hit. The first call I got was from Singapore, <laughs> believe it or not. Okay. They said, your song is number one in Singapore. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, We have a big following great. in Singapore, That's so right. we get it. Yeah, it's we, cool. get those, we get those right. notifications <laughs> for the podcast, yeah. Hey man, it's thank you Singapore. Singapore and, loves uh, the great song podcast yeah. and five for fighting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then the Philippines, and then and then so we cut. We started seeing signs outside of the states that the song was resonating, and then once it hit, it kind of you know kind of became a, a kind of worldwide hit, and then obviously, then nine eleven, and then there I am sitting at you know Madison Square Garden. So kind of from that moment of you know nine eleven, what the song meant. Coming back, I was actually in Europe on 9-11, and, and when I got back, I really didn't have a sense of what was happening. Wow. To getting nominated for a Grammy, the whole thing was like a surreal uh, experience that it was very hard to grapple with. I mean, I was, I was obviously, you know, kind of excited, and it was fun to go to the Grammys and lose to U2 like everybody else. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, they only have 40. You know, I'd just be nice to have one. Right. Um, but but it, was, it was cool. I mean, I've never been a big awards guy. Uh, it's, it's nice to, uh, you know, to kind of have that for the resume and the career. And, but, uh, you know, I, I've always thought, you know, there's some of my favorite artists never got nominated and there's a lot of folks who got Grammys that you would scratch your head, but it, it was cool. And, you know, it was cool and it was fun to go and, you know, got some fancy new jeans and my wife was excited and <laughs> met, some, met some people and, and went to one party. And I'm like, all right, that's all I need. So, uh, <laughs> so I am curious how you ended up because you were actually nominated in the, in the category of best duo or group with vocals. Um, was, <laughs> yeah, that funny. Was that solely because of the band name? I guess so. I mean, there's so much politics and stuff that go into that. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I guess it's a band and and uh, whatever, you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll come, I'll show up. <laughs> I, I almost didn't catch that in the in, when I was, you know, researching. And I was like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. A best duo or group. Okay, all right, well, yeah, that's interesting, very interesting. Um, so what, uh, tell us a little bit about about just the, the writing of the song itself, the inspiration, the process. You said it was, it was pretty quick. Uh, tell us a little bit about just sort of how the song came to be. Sure, you know, it was uh, like millions of struggling singer-songwriters. I was, you know, trying to find my way and, and make a career. And and back in the day, you know, as a young songwriter, I would write a song a day. I would write hundreds of songs and just try to get better. And it was kind of in that time when I was kind of learning and growing as an artist and and uh, certainly frustrated with uh, not being heard and and uh, people saying, well, you're, you're a good singer, but not a good songwriter, or you're a good songwriter, but not a good singer, and everybody finding a reason to pass on you. Mm. And, uh, you know, 
at the end of the day, you understand for a young man uh, that frustration and that it's not easy to be me. And sat down in my little keyboard, didn't have a piano at the time, little keyboard, and and in uh, Sherman Oaks, California, and just like every other night, tried to write a song. And Superman, you know, came very quick. It came in about an hour. Um, virtually the whole song, with the exception of two lines, we kind of doubled up the verse uh, or the pre-hook, you know, uh-huh. in the second verse. But basically, the whole lyric and and melody came within an hour, and it was. At the time, I'm like, oh, that's kind of good. I didn't go like, wow, I, I wrote my song. Right. I, I thought it was cool. And, you know, as I said, I I really was kind of more of a rocker, but uh, came very quickly. And then when it came time, you know, to make America Town, we had the whole, you know, batch of songs to go through. And my producer, Greg Wattenberg, and I'll always give him credit for this, you know, was very focused on Superman. And I was I was not as much of a fan. I was thinking, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a rocker and it's a rock record. And he's like, dude, you know, Superman you have to cut that song because I was advised by some folks to, you know, shop it, you know, give it to, uh, Celine, <laughs> Barbara Streisand, <Right. laughs> I don't know, J- James Taylor, you know, and, uh, but once we started recording Superman, we, we knew that if anybody ever heard it, uh, that, uh, it might have something kind of the universal message and to seek kind of people respond to it. Um, but yeah, it came very quickly. It was kind of out of kind of angst and, and, as I said, frustration that 20 years later, you know, when, when you realize that there's much bigger challenges for people in the world that you couldn't write Superman today, at least I couldn't. But back then for that young man frustrated, you know, pounding his head against the wall, it's not easy to be me and, and kind of using Superman as that foil. Uh, it kind of makes sense. Is it a, um, were you at the time or are you now a, a comic book guy? Like, are you a Superman guy or is it just Superman so universal that you go, this is going to land? That's it. Yeah, I'm not a huge comic book guy. It, it was really kind of a, a symbolism, kind of like with the Michael Jordan song. And, uh, you know, you take the Man of Steel, right? right. And, uh, you know, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're like, well, you know, does Superman really want to be Superman? You know, that's the one thing I do talk about, too, in some of my, my talks is, there's a, the other thing about Superman, too, I didn't realize till after I wrote it, all the other Superman songs, you know, there were seven REM, go down the list, everybody had written a Superman song, and if I would have known that, I probably wouldn't have written it, right. but, you know, the, the difference in mine is Superman doesn't want to be Superman, yeah. and I think that's why it connected with so many people about our kind of innate humanity, and as much as we want to be the rock for everybody at all times, uh, that we can't, and, and a little side story on that, which was, was kind of funny, you know, when when Superman first came out, you know, and it was kind of a hit, the label came to me and said, John, something really weird is happening with your song. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, old people are buying your record. I'm like, what do you mean old people are buying my record? And they're like, yeah, people in their 30s and 40s are buying Superman. <laughs> and I started laughing, you know, as someone who's in their 50s right now. And, and But what they meant was adults were buying the song. And, you know, kids buy records, teenagers buy records, adults don't buy records. And adults were embracing Superman. I think it was that that kind of reality of that people realize that we can't be everything for everybody. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're all human. And I think by that kind of sentiment is why the song has been so global and kind of embraced by kind of all ages and walks of life. I definitely think it hit. I definitely think it hits grown ups 
hard, you know what I mean? And yeah. like dads and you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you really feel that weight, you know? Uh, I, I do want to follow up because there's one line in particular I want to ask you about, and it's the first line of the song. You know, the whole song is centered around the concept that even Superman is sort of neurotic and vulnerable of all things. The Man of Steel is vulnerable. And the, and the first line sets up the whole scene so well and sort of encapsulates mm. it. What brought you to the line, I can't stand to fly? Luck. I mean, it was just, you know, I just, I, as I said, the, the song came very quickly. And, but I do think you're right because who wouldn't want to fly? Right. So it's so, you know, so for, for, in my song, it's such Trump trauma for Superman that he doesn't even want to fly anymore. And we'd all love to fly. And it's funny. I've, one of my kind of mentors is uh, Stephen Schwartz, who's the the brilliant kind of musical writer who wrote Godspell and Wicked, and we we've written some songs together. We actually wrote the song Slice together, and and he's he's talked to me about that first line, and and he really appreciates that first line um, to kind of get you in, because you're right, who wouldn't want to fly? And if it's if he doesn't want to fly, it, it's it's pretty ugly. And uh, but yeah, I, I I wish I could tell you I wrote a hundred lines and, you know, did a lot of research. And <laughs> But, I, you know, Superman really was a gift. And I look at it that way. I look at it as a gift. And certainly it didn't hurt to have 10, 15 years of writing thousands of songs, many bad songs, to have that opportunity to have Superman happen. But, you know, I could argue I've been chasing chasing that moment, you know, for the rest of you know, for the last 25 years. And, but every once in a while, you just have, I've heard Paul McCartney say, you know, about, about yesterday, it's like, sometimes you just sit back and be grateful for what came. You, uh, you hinted earlier about Greg Waterberger that he, I know he played guitar on your, on that project. You also worked with another Greg, uh, Greg Latterman, who launched yeah. John Mayer and Hootie and Train. So you worked with two Gregs and you also <laughs> mentioned that you thought your, your band name made you seem a little more arena rock, hard rock, and you're big buddies with Rudy Sarzo of Whitesnake, right? <laughs> so- well, we, we certainly were friends for, you know, Rudy, yeah, so yeah, Rudy Sarzo for for those who don't know, was one of the rock bass players of the 80s. And uh, we talked about Luke Robitaille being a sweet guy. He is such a wonderful person. I met Rudy when I was just struggling. He was in Malibu, and and uh, I was kind of living out there and writing. And I met him at the pool one day. And That's he awesome. was just talking to me. And he's like, yeah, and, you know, and I kind of knew who he was. And, yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter. And Long story short, you know, it turns out he's a huge music fan. He loved Barry Manilow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude! Wow. You just touched more heartstrings. Like, I'm a Barry yeah. guy. Rob makes fun yeah, of me all so, the time. <laughs> so he kind of, like, mentored me, and, and he, you know, Rudy Rudy was with Ozzy, then he was with Quiet Riot, yeah. and at the time, he was on top of the world with Whitesnake. Yep. And I had my almost famous moment, you know? I was the little kid, <laughs> yeah. little kid, you know, I went to, you know, the big Whitesnake concert, and here I am with Coverdale and Rudy and all the girls riding up the elevator, my eyes wide open, tongue on the floor. Um, but he was, you know, just really um, helpful to me. He introduced me to some people that I worked with and supportive. And I don't think anybody was more excited than him when I had, you know, success. And haven't talked to him lately, but, you know, I know he's still out there doing it. And, uh, you know, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful person. So let that be a lesson to all the, those of y'all that are out there listening. Just be nice to people, and maybe yeah. you'll have the right connection uh, that helps, right. helps you in the future. That's awesome. Hey, man, that's really what it is. It's still about relationships, even in this shallow music business. At the end of the day, I don't care what you do. It's about relationships, integrity, and keeping, you know, keeping your 
keeping your head. Well, then I got to do one of my best friends a solid. His favorite movie, we joke about it all the time, one of his favorites is The Blind Side, which yeah. you had a, a hit off of with Chances. Yeah. Did you write Chances for The Blind Side, or did they approach you like, that song will fit with our movie? Which came first? I wrote the song before, uh, before the movie, and just, again, kind of funny story, life lesson story. Chances was tempt uh, in one of these huge kind of summer Fourth of July blockbusters. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the movie because it wasn't really good, but we didn't care. <laughs> uh, you know, half a billion people were gonna hear my song, and you know, of course, you know, you know, for me, I've been very lucky that I've had a lot of my my music in, in films, and as you guys know, you know, it helps everything. It helps radio. It helps sales. Blah blah blah. But uh, so it was tempt in this big blockbuster movie. It was one everyone, of the Star Wars prequels, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now that one I would not have pulled it from, uh, but uh, but um, but uh, so you know the label was excited. My manager Latterman, you know everybody was thrilled, and and um, and then the folks from the Blind Side came to me and they said, hey, you know we have this movie and we know you're a sports guy, we know you're a family guy, and and we'd like you to check it out. And and I told them I'm like, you know guys, it's in this big blockbuster movie. I ain't gonna pull it. And but I looked at it, and I read it, and I saw a couple of outtakes. So I called them back. I'll never forget. I called them back. I said, all right, guys, I see what you're saying. I see how the song really fits. You know, tell me your marketing plan. Tell me everybody's going to see it. And they're like, you know, there's not much of a budget. <laughs> Nobody's going to, you know, we don't really have, you know, big expectations for the movie. And, you know, sometimes in life you, you just got to trust your gut, and it, it doesn't always work out. But I'm like, man. Uh, this song really belongs in this movie, and 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 I, and I, and I want to support people making these kinds of movies. Right. And uh, so you know, you guys know, you know, at the end of the day, it becomes bigger than Rocky, biggest sports movie ever. And and uh, but uh, again, it you know sometimes makes those decisions and they they don't work out. But I was just thrilled to see that movie have success, such a great message, and we need more of those. And. Uh, and it's still, you know, you'll still find it every year on Channel 13 or whatever, you know, yeah. watching it. It's one of my and wife's uh, all-time favorite movies. My, my dad yeah. likes Sandra Bullock in anything, so that's okay. That <laughs> yeah, really most dads too. do. Most dads <laughs> like Sandra Bullock. That's oh, awesome. yeah. Well, we've got uh, just one or two more, and then we'll let you enjoy your day. But something that we ask cool. everybody, um, yeah. you're on tour. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking on it, I'll tell you mine. Um, I get a Three Musketeers bar every time. So when I was growing up, my mom would say you could pick any candy bar you want, and that's the most ounces for the money. So it's like that's <laughs> that's my choice is the Three Musketeers bar. What do you get when you're uh, what's your gas station snack food? Well, it tends to be a large Coke Zero filled with ice. Um, probably the teriyaki beef jerky because I'll need the protein. Oh, oh there, there we go. go. You know, and uh, we had another and, artist uh, that mentioned beef jerky, but you got specific. That's right. Like you went, yeah, you know which one. Yeah, you want. Probably the hot, you know, probably the spicy beef jerky because I'm going to need that protein. And uh, if if I'm going candy bars, it's probably, you know, an extra large Butterfinger. Okay. Oh, solid. Yeah. Solid choice. Yeah. Well done. Well yeah. played. That's outstanding. <laughs> uh, all right. I got one more question. You've been, yeah. obviously, you've been writing for a long time uh, and you've written about, a, a you know, a, a myriad of, of topics and issues and things and feelings and emotions. What keeps you writing? Like what you said at one point, you know, you're writing a song a day. Uh, what what keeps you writing and, and inspired? That's a good question. You know, longer answer than we have. And, and you know, I haven't been writing as much the last, you know, five, six years because I I've, I've do so much stuff outside of outside of music and, you know, I have a family business and and certainly do a lot of touring and television and Broadway. I've been dabbling. 
so I haven't really been doing a lot of five for fighting writing, though that's changed. Um, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on, it's, uh, you know, we've all kind of faced kind of challenges and angst and fears. And for me, it's kind of rekindled uh, why I got into music in the first place. You know, I, I didn't get into music to, you know, write a hit and become rich and famous, even though we all wanted that. I got into it because I had to. And it was the way I could kind of stay sane and get out my uh, stress and kind of like punch in a punching bag, I would sit at the piano. And, and for me, the, the way to kind of survive through some of these hard times we've had is to go back to the piano and uh, with no other intention of just playing and writing and expressing myself uh, and no expectation of whether I put it out or not. And so it's been kind of uh, a rebirth for me over the last, you know, six, seven months here. And, and we'll see where that ends. You know, I, I've, you know, thought about maybe putting it together and putting out this thing called a record that we, we've talked about. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but, you know, but who knows? So I'm kind of in that creative space, which is kind of fun and exciting for me. And, and we'll see com what comes out of it. But, uh, you know, inspiration comes from many things. It comes from personal experiences. It comes from observations. Uh, comes from worldview, and uh, my my thing is, you're, there's always a great song in every room if I could just see it. And uh, oh, uh, I love that yeah, line. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. And I'm always looking for it. So there you go. Outstanding. Well, John, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, this has yeah, been a been lot great. of fun. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the music that you've brought into the world over the years. Thank you for the great band name that is Five for Fighting. <laughs> much better than like Three for High Sticking, I think would have been, or you know, something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for letting us know that some of our favorites, uh, that, you know, are good people. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. We like good people. It's good to know for sure. Hey, pretty much everybody's good people, man. It's, that's what the way the world works. That's what I've seen. Oh, that's man. awesome. We can only hope right. that's fingers crossed. Thank you so right, much. Brother. Podcast. Man, that was great. That was a lot of fun. I loved it. about everything. Yeah. Thanks again, stuff. John. Uh, thanks, I hope John. you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, I want to tie up with a couple things. We talked in the interview. Uh, about his early work with White Snake bassist Rudy Sarzo, um, they had uh, originally formed an arena rock band together called John Scott, which I find funny because it's a band name that sounds like a guy's name. Sounds like Bon Scott, right? It's it sounds yeah. So <laughs> they had Scott. a band name that sounded like a guy's name, and then he ends he, up in Five for Fighting, <laughs> which, uh, which he's one guy is that has a, a band guy name. Oh, that's sound, cool. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Um, uh, but uh, and they had uh, uh, guitarist uh, Scott St. Clair Sheets um, in that band. And so uh, later, uh, Scott Sheets ends up with a band called St. Clair of his own uh, and records several of the songs that they wrote together in that That's time cool. period, That's if I understand it all correctly. So I pulled one of them out. This is called After the Fire. This is the band St. Clair. Um, this song is co-written by John Androsic and uh, Rudy Sarzo. Outstanding. And uh, so it, it's not Superman. It's not Five for Superman. Fighting? It's okay. Five for fighting okay. You know what I'm saying? Check it out. This is After the Fire. <laughs> Oh, I like that. I love that tone. Yeah, it's great. Spending this night alone, standing out in the rain, waiting here for the dawn. Dude, that guitar is great. It's yeah. in your face clean. In the shadow, there's a flame that's burning on this night of cold. Now, this is not John on vocals. No. I like the mix a lot. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. 
definite like Bon Jovi yeah, vibes. Good, you good know? fun. Yeah. Good fun. So anyway, that's After the Fire by St. Clair. Um, what else? I, we, one thing we didn't really talk with John about is his uh, philanthropy work. Uh, he's huge philanthropist. Uh, <laughs> lots, lots of work with the USO and other organizations. He created a charity video website that raised over a quarter million dollars for Autism Speaks, Save the Children, and other charities. Um, brilliant guy. Graduated summa cum laude from UCLA with a degree in applied mathematics. Um, Whoa. Just, you know, smart as a whip. As you could tell from the interview, very thoughtful guy and um, very, very intelligent. So um, I think that's about all we got for this episode. Uh, we had a really great time with John and uh, thank you for hanging out with us. Yeah. Thanks uh, guys. Season six. We're having a blast. That's right. Uh, find us on Facebook as always. Uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash great song pod, or you can just search for the group name, great songs and the great people who love them greatly. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at great song pod, or as always, you can go to the website, great song for archives and merch and uh, hang out with us there. We so appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us and uh, hanging around to listen. And uh, we hope you guys are appreciating our interviews from this season. We've had a definitely had a blast getting to hang out a little bit with some of our favorite artists and writers and singers. It's just been incredible. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great song. I can't even tell you how incredible it's going to be. Uh, until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music. Guys, we finally did We're it. We're doing it. We're bringing it. We finally did it. You guys want to give us dollars, yeah. and we would love to take them. <laughs> That's right. The Great Song Podcast is now on Patreon. That's right. I didn't feel comfortable giving my bank account to you guys to put the money in my account, yeah. but I do feel comfortable this way. <laughs> right. So you could go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash greatsongpod. If you want to just support the show, we do this podcast for free because we love it. If you're like, JP, we want you to buy a Three Musketeers bar. Here's a yeah, dollar. Exactly, Wonderful. Exactly. If you want to subscribe on Patreon as a way to just show us that you love us and you want to support the show, man, that would be Fantastic. Fantastic. I stole it. Oh, it's all good. It's it's it's, it's out there for the ta- it's, it's it's out there for the taking. So, <laughs> uh, we and we're very selective on when we decided to post this. We've waited yep. for years, hundreds of episodes, and yep. we still want to give you guys what you like and you not feel obligated. That's but right. in the same regards, we want to get it in more ears, and That's this right. is the best way. So, anything you can do to help, we're very thankful. That's right. The regular show is not changing. Nothing. The at regular all. show is going to be the great song podcast you know and love. But if you decide to support us on Patreon, you're going to get more of the show, bonus episodes, Patreon exclusive. Chance to maybe contribute some questions that we ask the artists. That's right. Ooh. So uh, I think it's going to be a real, a real neat thing. Lots more ways for us to engage with you and for you to engage with us. Just go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod, or you can click on the link in the show notes. We appreciate it so much. We love you guys like our own family. We're family. Yep. Patreon.com slash greatsongpod. <laughs>